Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everyone, it's episode 176. Today is August 6th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. Hey, over there, across the internet from me, Mr. Blake Arnstorff. What's up, everybody? How you doing this evening? That was a large salute, Blake. I know. I feel like I'm just really on on it today. Super excited. It was nice to get off and do a little podcast action. Yeah. Uh, we, we, got, we got an excellent news story this week, uh, and we're taking some questions from the community. Uh, for news, we got almost like a follow-up to that Prosit app that we talked about a couple weeks ago. UCLA researchers are going to use Apple gadgets in a study to detect and treat depression. So we'll talk about that. But first, some programming notes. Uh, like I mentioned a couple uh, weeks ago, we got our merch store up and running. Go check that out if you want to support the show. Look good doing it. Got our uh, Patreon stuff. You know, we, we bump Human Factors Minute every week. This week was uh, HFE Woman. So uh, and, and we got a little tie into that in just a minute here. But what I'm most excited about is we just got off the phone, uh, you know, with our HFES president-elect interviews. They're both in the hopper now. We just talked with uh, Camille and Chris tonight. Uh, so as soon as those get cleared for release, uh, you'll be able to download it uh, through this feed and listen to it right through your ear holes. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best ever description of that so nick mentioned that we uh, we actually did our keep for human factors minute this week we did hfe hfes women or hfe women uh and i actually want to take a minute and give a special congratulations and shout out to friend and guest of the show of human factors cast of course aaron ritchie uh she's actually been elected as a recording secretary of san diego's Executive Council for Society of Women Engineers, or SWE. And I want to take a minute to actually let people know that are either in the San Diego area or interested in becoming involved in a Society of Women Engineers, wherever you are, that San Diego's chapter is going to hold its first virtual open house this August 20th from 5.30 to 7 PST. And I promise there will be more links and description details uh, that we can add in later. Uh, but for now, just congrats to Aaron Ritchie. And hopefully, if anybody wants to get involved, please do. Yeah, Aaron was a great guest on the show. She was a great fill-in for you when you were on vacation. She was um, absolutely stellar. Like there, there's often, there's not often times that I listen to the podcast, but I do when there's people replacing me, and she's by far one of my favorites. Yeah, she was great. Uh, but I want to know what's going on in Blake's world. What's going on with you, man? Man, so I'm forever like filling my the like space that I have for my office with more music equipment, right? Yeah, so, I can see it piling up behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole whole thing that's been there for a minute. But yeah, so one thing that I've done, and it, you can probably see it behind me, um, I have a, a really old Marshall amp behind me. Uh, that I've had, you know, probably since I was 15 when I <laughs> when I bought it that long ago, and I've used it for multiple gigs, recording, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, eons ago, I kind of lost the lost the switch box, cracked a bunch of the tubes, haven't ever replaced some of the head pieces, and I actually you can't see it on camera, but I got this really small, basically size of just the head that's on the Marshall amp behind me, so it's you know probably as big or as long as my laptop. And this head actually acts as a guitar head and amp that has pre-built, you know, settings for it for different types of tones. So like clean or heavy metal or whatever it may be. 
But the sweet part about it is it's this, this tiny head of an amp that allows you to use an application on your phone to stack pedals, you know, preamp and post-amp, whether it's delays or gain reduction or any of that kind of stuff. Stuff you would spend probably thousands of dollars just to get all of the equipment. Now you can do it with like one simple piece of equipment um, that's way like half the cost. So I've been enjoying, you know, messing around with like different signal patterns really is what it is at the end of the day. Um, but that's, that's really been what I've been packing into, man. That's cool. I love, I love it when uh, a new piece of technology comes along that packs in a bunch of functionality from others and, uh, makes it easy to use. Right. I, I yeah. think that's the biggest thing. Well, it's kind of um, cool because you can, like, there, a lot of artists, of course, have been sponsored by this piece of equipment because it, like, premiered at the big, you know, music festival or music guitar show uh, this past year. Uh, but that means that there's a lot of specific tones that have been developed by people, like, you know, from a lot of bands that I like to listen to. So you can actually just go in, grab the tones that they use, and your guitar will sound pretty much the same with a with little bit of variance, of course. So you can, like, learn how really cool. bands you like um, how they string together all of these different pedals or different like gain effects and stuff like that. It's a lot of That's fun. Really cool music. Uh, what tenor profiles, right? Yes, Camber profiles. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, that's that's really awesome, man. I'm I'm super happy for you. I'm glad uh, you're finding use out of that uh, piece of equipment. Um, for me, I <laughs> I'm gonna show you this. I. This this is a thing. Remember this? Yes, you remember this, right? Yeah, this is the top of no, the, the bottom. This is the this is the top. It looks much better. It's shiny and oh and, uh, wow, painted yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah. Looks and like you're straight the out of the film. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so and and then here's the bottom, the sad bottom. So, <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> painting's hard. I spray paint sucks. I. I okay, so here's the story. Um, I printed out this bottom and um the bottom to this droid that I've been talking about for weeks. Cause last weekend I was like, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to post a picture of it on social media. Uh, and then I was feeling so confident that I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a, I'm going to start a YouTube channel of me making star Wars stuff. Uh, and, yes. and, uh, I, I will, I'll do that. Uh, I will. Um, but, <laughs> but I was so disappointed by this because I, I started painting and then I messed it up. And then I painted again and tried to cover the mistakes with some filler primer and messed it up again. And now I'm to the point where I have like eight layers of paint on this and it's no longer like you can't probably see it on camera. But there's like a bunch of imperfections that I absolutely cannot fix. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Without oh, wow. scraping off all the paint again and starting from scratch. So what I'm doing now is I'm printing up another uh, my third one. Right. I printed out a second one that I I I made for uh for just for um accident and then uh <laughs> <laughs> printed it out on accident thought it was the top and then I and then I actually used this for testing so I started drilling holes through it and then I damaged it uh, but I used it as a test fit for some of the stuff that I was doing um and then I painted the real deal and the real deal is not turning out the way I wanted to so I'm going to have to end up coming back to printing out a third copy um, which is unfortunate, but, uh, sometimes I, my whole point with that is that, uh, the process of making is, is never linear. You think it is. And then it just, you have to, um, sometimes you have to start over with something and, uh, it, it sucks. I, I, starting over, sorry, I have a, I have a day and a half on this, on this bottom piece print, um, 
left and I have to wait until that's done to start working on this again, but it's a valuable lesson that I learned, right? It's light coats and blah, blah, blah. And there's still some imperfections on this, but I can live with those because they're like so small that you can't even notice them. And I can, you know, kind of say it was just space debris or something that damaged it while it was transporting. You know, there's story elements that you can... um, But but on the bright side, the electronics are done. You want to see the electronics? Oh, man. I guess this is really bad for an audio medium, but hey, there's the electronics. Oh, nice! So now you just got to put them in. So all the LEDs. I got to put them in, up. but I can't put them in until the thing is done. So I'm just I'm I'm a little frustrated with the whole making things. Um, well, I'm a, I imagine that every maker gets to that point, right? Well, I mean, it's 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 taken me too long to learn the lesson. Is is what it, is ultimately what I'm grappling with here, um, and that's not not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess as long as you've actually learned it, that's probably the the more yeah. important part at this point. I know, I know. As soon as I know what the order of events, as soon as this thing is done printing, I know what I need to do to make it look like this one. Um, and then I've also hit some other snags. Like I left, I left a piece out in the sun for too long, and it melted. And I had to print another one of those. And it's like, oh, it melted. Yeah, because it's it's just plastic. Yeah, so like you leave it true. out in the sun, it just. <laughs> droops down like a well I anyway the the point is like I, I've been so demotivated by the amount of steps required to just get the, it seems like a simple project there's not that many pieces it's like you know I I have look I have my like legs ready they're they're ready to go they're all painted and primed and, and good to go they're good I just need to attach them and I can't attach them until I have the bottom on the bottom is like the central piece that holds everything together. So it's not like I even have half a thing to look at. It's just, it's uh and then I've had to 3d print out some special pieces. So that way it looks like it's all seamless. And it's a, uh, it's been a process, man. This is way more work than I thought it was going to be, but hopefully it'll pay off. Hopefully next weekend I'll have uh, something that looks like a awesome star Wars droid. And I can share it with all of you on the slack. I'm so um, stoked for you to finish it. Cause it's, it's going to look, epic because like the pieces you have that are already put together look so sick like i could imagine some really amazing photos being taken to this thing it's gonna be great yeah and i i like i said i i trying to start a new venture here with me making star wars stuff on a youtube channel or an instagram and i just feel like uh, this is demotivating in a way but at the same time i feel like these are the lessons that i would like to see from others that don't necessarily get conveyed as the failure yes Um, and so i might do that right like hey look at that Ooh, Ooh, that is looking Isn't that cool? Sick. Uh, electronics in the top piece, folks. Works great for an audio medium. So hopefully <laughs> you can all listen you to that. You can see that, right? Yeah, yeah, everyone here listening can see that. So I apologize for talking about visual mediums on an audio podcast. I'll post pictures in the Slack. It'll give you all incentive to go there. Uh, anyway, uh, anything else from you, Blake? No, that's it, man. I'm just excited for the news this week. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into this next part of the show? That's right, this part of the show is all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be anything related to the field, such as medical, privacy, you name it. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game for us to sit here and BS about. Blake, what do we got up first this week? Well, or this week... the only one. 
the only thing we're doing this week. So identifying depression, depression can be tricky. However, UCLA researchers are collaborating with Apple in a three-year study to see if gadgets can help revolutionize how depression is detected and how it's treated. So the study was co-designed by UCLA researchers and Apple and aims to measure sleep, physical activity, heart rate, and daily routines to see if there are there is a correlation between these metrics and depression and anxiety. To track those metrics, researchers utilize an iPhone, Apple Watch, and Bedit, the sleeping the sleep monitoring gadget company that Apple acquired back in 2017. Researchers would potentially be able to identify the onset of depress of a depressive episode based on a person's health data, as well as track whether certain types of treatments are actually effective. This research is still in the early stage, and f- any future potential consumer-facing feature may have to go through the FDA's lengthy approval process before it's widespread. So, Nick, this is this is wild because what was it like? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about another application looking at this, right, or something similar. Two weeks ago, yeah, there was a there was Prosit, um, and that app was aiming to do something very similar. Uh, it was looking to monitor um, the sort of depressive states, right the the depression anxiety states. However, this one seems to be aiming more at the treatment, which is interesting to me. To I mean, it does both, but I think the study is looking at. Uh, that same type of premise, right? Looking for all these other factors um, from these various devices, which I think was not what Prosit does as well. I think Prosit was just an app that you collect through your phone as one singular thing. There wasn't an ecosystem. But this, uh, it, it looks like there's this um, this other part that's, in this study at least, it looks like an ecosystem, right? They're looking at the watch data. They're w- looking at the iPhone. They're looking at Bedit. And by the way, you'll welcome to our new segment, It Came From Bedit. And so, um, like, it, it sounds to me like this is this much more focused on the ecosystem, and they're also looping in that treatment. And so I felt like this was different enough for us to sit here and talk about tonight um, because a lot of those threads are still the same, but maybe we can focus on those, right, the ecosystem piece and the treatment. Well, it's, it's interesting to me what is different between the two is you remember the the pro, Prosit? Is that the name? Prosit, Prosit, P-R-O-S-I-T. The Prosit. Well, the, the part that I found interesting about that was that it was actually bringing the human into the loop, and then the the extra data it was, ca- it was capturing was kind of like secondary. So you got that good qualitative versus quantitative feel. Here, I, I kind of like the idea that it is like an ecosystem like you brought up, but it's it's nice because it's focusing on, you know, not interrupting somebody, not having them give subjective opinions about how they feel or even like having them just repeat something. It's not it's it's kind of that like spam versus the other essay technique that you can use to measure. You're not interrupting somebody actively to measure their depression. So they're not they're not as triggered about the fact that they're they're doing something that has to do with their depression, right? So in this case, if you're able to kind of track all these other variables and then have, again, an understanding of what their treatment is, and then those variables are passed back and forth between, I guess, like whatever research they're doing here, but I would assume ultimately to like a medical practitioner as well if this goes on and on, that would be a really awesome way to know, like, are these different interventions that I'm suggesting in a person's life one occurring, but also if they are, 
am I am I seeing any kind of effect based off of what I know for the, the treatment is supposed to be effective for? Do I need to add medication to this? Um, so there's a I think this is a a cool study, and I would hope that it gets pushed along, like to to be something like a feature that Apple builds into their their products. Um, like of of course, only if people want to use it. But I think it's a great way to help help like someone like myself understand their own their own kind of like deals with depression but also the same and the same token helping practitioners or medical practitioners get better at seeing the outcomes of treatments yeah i think yeah you you brought up some really good points and i think um another sort of interesting difference if you will between the two is that um or you know I lost my train of thought there for a second. It's not a difference. It's a similarity. And and the fact is that there's multiple companies here coming up with the same idea at the same time. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, studies are in development long before they're announced. And so um, it's interesting to me that both Prozit and this thing came out within two weeks of each other. Uh, and it's basically getting at the same thing. How is, how is COVID and, um, socially isolating and and all these other socioeconomical impacts on our lives. How is that affecting our mental state? And that's really the the premise, the the thesis of these two uh, different but similar studies. And I find that just really interesting. Um, it looks like you know the the ecosystem part of this is really interesting to me as well because you have not just a phone that's collecting data. Uh, but you also have a watch, and you also have Bedit, whatever that is. I think it's I think it's literally like a, a sleep tracker or something. Uh, I'm looking it up as we speak. But the the fact is that you have these data from different devices. Um, yeah, it's a sleep tracking device, by the way. Uh, you have these different devices that are providing different informations at different times. And the interesting thing about having both a watch and a phone that can collect same data is that you now have two points of data on the same thing, right? So like uh, a watch could gather something like heart rate, but it can also gather steps. And so you can also kind of uh, pair that with movement from your phone. If your phone is doing things and then the accelerometer inside can detect those. And you can also build in things like Prosit was doing where you're looking at how fast you're typing or that type of thing. So if you combine these two studies, you have a lot of data on somebody. And uh, if you were to able to link it to a mental state, that is incredibly powerful. And I think we mentioned it the other week that a as these technologies get better and better, um, there's going to be sort of these uh, interventions that happen um, that are going to help a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the more you can, cause the, the big thing to like, of course you have to take away here is like anybody who's done statistical analyses or understands like some of the science going on here, it, it's going to be a correlation between a lot of this stuff. But again, the more data you're able to collect and put into some, take from some of these systems, um, that Apple's kind of providing. Cause I, I didn't realize that Betta was their product too. Um, but if, if, if a sole collector is bringing all this information together, that just gives you more data for you to be able to study. So you can better understand, even if you're seeing a lot of correlations, are you seeing them consistently? Are you seeing them over larger populations of people? Um, so this, this is, it's kind of, it's kind of a crazy time because you're, you're right. I mean, it keeps getting brought up a lot, the impact of like 
COVID-19 has largely affected all of our lives, but at the same time, there's a, a large concern about people's mental health. Um, so something like this, where like Apple phones and Apple products tend to be in a lot of people's homes, maybe this is a way to, you know, get that out into more people. Now, I, of course, this won't, the study itself's going on from what, 21 to 23. So it'll be a while before one, the results are released, and then two, any kind of FDA proceedings even begin but it's it's a really promising way for wearables to be used because i think there's so many cool things that wearables do do for us now especially in the fitness perspective but like taking it beyond that and doing it something more passive for you um that could benefit things like mental health are pretty amazing largely up until this point wearables have been focused on what physical health, right? And and to to bring that into the next realm and and focus on mental health as well as is a is a good thing. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, it cool. really gets us a step closer to like this personalized medicine. So where it's it's not just like worrying about um, it's not just mental health. It's not just like exercise. It has even to do with your nutrition, and it has to do with you know how doctors you know determine when you need to come in to see them and stuff like that right. i think there's just a large there there's so much that wearables will play into in the future yeah can you imagine getting a call from your doctor's office going hey we noticed that your activity was a little low uh just wanted to uh want you come in for a checkup and make sure everything's okay it's gonna be crazy to get those calls yeah i mean even the the heart monitoring thing right like we did that you know six months ago about Apple with like them being at the top for being able to, you know, car or not correct, but detect cardiac events. I mean, could you imagine if you're, you know, somebody's basically sitting at a computer and gets an alarm that patient one is about to have a heart attack, like, and you send the ambulance to their house before they have it like that, that kind of stuff is on the horizon. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's just a crazy future and I'm excited for it. Any other closing thoughts on this one? No, this is a great picnic. Thanks. Yeah, cool story. I just wanted to share it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for, uh, to, to, I almost read my show notes here. We're going to take a quick, quick break, quick, quack break, and we'll be back to break down some stories from Reddit. We'll be back. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is Human Factors Etc., we're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember, it depends. Oh, that was dumb. All right, uh, we're back. We just want to thank all of our friends over at Gizmodo for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post those in our Slack, so that's a great place to check out. Uh, you can also follow us on social media, and we post those there, too. Um I'm still on a pretty big high from uh, from our two interviews tonight, Blake. I just gotta say, I gotta say, I'm still still there. 
heavy like, human factors cast work this evening. Jeez. Yeah, we, we pull in some weight for you. We Yeah, anyway. All right, we're going to switch gears now and uh, get to this next part of the show. It came from... It came from... It came from Reddit. It came, damn it. I meant it to say from it came Bet from Bedit. Uh, this is the part of the show where we search all over Bedit to bring you topics the community's talking about. Any topics fair game as long as it relates to the field of human factors, we can sit here and BS about on our show that we make every week. Except next week. We're not going to do a show next week. Thank Surprise. Goodness. Surprise, because we're <laughs> dropping content left and right next week. Yeah, we got we got some other stuff for you next week. All right, so uh, all right, so we got time for two of these. Let's go ahead and jump into this first one here. This one's by uh, Bubba Natep on the UX subreddit. Why is that name funny to you, Blake? What's going on? <laughs> I don't because I read it differently. I read, read it Bubba Nate P. Bubba Nate P. Bubba Natep. Uh, let's see here. Doesn't things like talk out loud during usability tests destroy metrics? Blake is laughing over there. I'm going to read the rest of this post. Uh, during usability testing, having your users talk out loud is the most valuable part of the usability test to me. However, I read all these articles about gathering test metrics like task time, bosses love metrics, but for me, task time has no bearing on when you are having issues, having users talk out loud. I even think things like trying to test for flow and possibly even sentiment are affected by the user talking to another human being while going through the test. I assume that someone would tell me there are qualitative usability tests and quantitative and each have their place. I also assume some quantitative uh, usability testing means basically no interacting with the user. So a question I have is when is it best to do which? My bosses would prefer metrics every time, but in my experience, the qualitative tests have been more beneficial to the designer making design decisions and thus, ultimately, the finished product. I could be wildly mistaken, though. Blake, you're up. You're not mistaken. I have That last sentence is really the key there. If you're finding that the qualitative tests are more meaningful to, des to the design, I hope that is the case because that's the way that I feel. All right, so what do you do about the metrics? It's it's a careful catwalk. It depends on how you're doing your test, really, right? So I'm going to give you an example of like the stricter way I could imagine this working. Um, so the talk out loud thing, or like or cognitive walkthrough, it was, as it was told to me in grad school. I think that's essential. I mean, I I totally understand like the metric driven decision making. Like that's very popular. That data driven company stuff. It, it's all good. Makes sense. Um, but please be capturing more than just time on task. Cause I think there are other metrics you can capture in addition to that, that should be helpful. But let's say you are doing a time on task and metrics are important to your boss. What do you do? Well, one way to go about it is to just prepare debrief questions for after the usability test portion of what you need to get done is done. Keeping track of where you saw people struggle with the website, where you saw frustration, that kind of stuff, and then you can ask them about it later, although it is not going to be as easy for them to recall what they were doing at the time. Um, another way that we, I used to do it in grad school was if you were doing a think aloud protocol along with a test, you really didn't initiate the think aloud protocol aspect of things or the talk me through what you're doing until somebody was confused or they were didn't know what was going on in which in in my case I would mark in my software which I was making notes and recording timestamps where 
the the time on task really should stop because we're sitting there talking about what the issue is and where it kind of begins again. That is not strict quantitative anal- quantitative data collection, but it is a good way to try and account for the amount of time that you spend talking to somebody until they begin the task again. Um, but I, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I think you can still get pretty good and accurate metrics by just ta- letting people go through the, either go through the test or monitoring how long you're speaking for and letting them complete the task from there. But I'll let Nick take it away. He's got some good data analytics behind him. Yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. Your, your boss likes metrics, do metrics. And there's, um, here's the thing. If you have all your participants, uh, think aloud, you've then normalized, that you can still capture time on task. It's just with the caveat that this was time on task captured with think aloud. It might be inflated from what you're used to seeing and you'll have to normalize that data out over, you know, a new sample size, but you can still do that. Um, Does it affect it? Absolutely. Will it um, show you anything? Maybe, maybe not. But there are other metrics. If your boss likes metrics, do metrics. Just don't do time on task in the way, you know, in a way that makes it affect um, the think aloud protocol. There's other metrics that you can take, like success rate, whether or not the users actually were able to perform the task at all. You can actually break that down into like partial success or full success or uh, success with help or something like that, you know. Um, so you can do things like success rate or um, the time, uh, the time of task, right? We talked about that. The error rate. You can see how many times they made an error in their, uh, you know, in, in their usability test. You could actually count those up and report those metrics and say, look, with this design, they had 13 errors. And with this design, they had five. They were much more likely to find the thing. And you could do that. And at the very end, like Blake said, you can actually grab user satisfaction. So you can actually, um, you can ask questions at the end and get things like user satisfaction where you ask them, hey, how uh, how easy or difficult was that thing? You know, and uh, th- they'll tell you. And then you can ask them to elaborate on it. Why was it easy? Why was it difficult? Well, you said this in the think aloud and you can actually almost have an interview, right? But you can still have that subjective rating, like on a scale from zero to 10. How easy or difficult was this with 10 being difficult and one being easy and then or zero, I guess being easy. And then you get that as a third metric. So now you're throwing three new metrics at your boss and one slightly inflated, slightly different metric that still gets at something. I mean, that's um, a it, good point you made there, Nick, that like you can still put metrics like using a suscale to qualitative data. There you go. That's another cool thing to show your boss. Yeah, exactly. So there are metrics. I guess the question is when to use which. Um, I'm going to advocate for always use Think Aloud if you can and gather the other metrics uh, as well. I mean, it's, you know, you you can do both. Um, But if you were absolutely strapped and the only metric you could grab was uh, either Think Aloud or Time on Task, I might do Think Aloud during the early stages of design, whereas time on task might be a little bit more mature in the process, where where design is uh, reaching its end stage, right? I would probably do both on both. I don't know. I feel like they're both really important. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm less partial to time on task, and depending on what you have to, what the situation is, it's very contextual. Where I find time on task to be super important. I feel like they're the other metrics you you we're mentioning Nick are still just as important and you can do the, the, the think aloud protocol aspect, mainly 
task completion and you can split that up however you want to error rate and you can even depending on the type of system or website you've designed you can do lostness scores too so i don't know there's there's just so many other metrics you can do and nick made the best point that this podcast has ever made that you can normalize the data if you're taking into account the fact that you are doing a think aloud protocol so i don't think it should be that crazy all right, we got time for one more. Let's go ahead and get into it. This one here comes from the Human Factors subreddit, and this one's actually an interesting one. This one's called IFU Design Question. Blake, do you know what IFU is? No, I don't. It's uh in something. Uh, it's uh I looked it up. I don't remember what it is now. I should have wrote it in the show notes. It's it's definitely it's like a it's like instruction manual. Um, so anyway. No, it's uh, instructions for for use. use. There it is. All right. Yeah, we both found it at the same time. Great. So instructions for use design question. I'm looking for information on effectiveness of different IFU placements. Uh, e.g. on an insert versus on a box. I've checked around on Google Scholar, but I haven't found anything. Has anyone run across academic literature on this subject before? Blake, have you ran across any academic literature on this? Uh, oh, I forgot to say who this was by. Dang it. It was on the Human Factors uh, Reddit by Pooh Flakes. Thanks, Blake. Have you run into this at all? No. And actually, it really surprises me because this is tied into FDA or the where I found it was FDA guidance. So instructions for use like in, in accordance with medical devices. Um, but no, I ha- I haven't run into it before. Yeah, I haven't either. I wanted to bring this up because I felt like this was a uh, an interesting question to pose to the community. I don't have an answer for this one. However, I feel like we could speculate responsibly um, as to <laughs> what the effectiveness might be, right? Um, if you have instructions on a box, um, they are more visible and less likely to get lost because they are attached to some tangible thing. If you have it in a pamphlet... Uh, it's probably easier readability, but it's more likely to get lost somewhere. Uh, yeah. th- that's my like initial pass on that. This is, so this is really cool. I'm I'm super stoked that you brought this up. So I'm gonna show this to Nick, and I'll try and I'll put a link in the description or whatever. But so my keyboard, right? I have a like a Microsoft ergonomic keyboard and mouse comes in a pair. Um, it's it's well designed, whatever. But that this concept was the coolest thing about the entire keyboard because they they really went along and designed the experience of learning how to set the keyboard up by putting these inserts in places you had to go and interact with on the keyboard such as like the magnetic strips on the back in order to put batteries in and same thing with finding the dongle for where the actual uh, USB plug lives inside of your mouse. And so they put these kind of different IFU placements in specific areas where you would have to go to get stuff set up. So I think Nick's point about it being good to be on a box in the case that it's always available, you're not going to u- lose it. I think also it depends on the context of the product you're designing for. So if it's like an immediate setup of something simple that's probably like a one-time setup, like a keyboard and a mouse, maybe you know, have fun with the experience, put it in different places that people have to interact with. And it's almost like a little bit of a puzzle and game to be able to put this stuff together. Whereas if it's something a little more serious where you don't want to be, you know, shuffling around, like I could only imagine if somebody put, you know, the instructions for what temperature my pizza needed to be 
heated up at inside the box as a pamphlet, I might never find it and just burn the pizza. But in the case of like something that that you can have a little more freedom with and like the losing of instructions isn't as important past the first time setup, then I think you have a little more leeway. But yeah, I definitely haven't seen academic literature for this. I haven't either, but doing a quick Google search, which you know is the correct way to do everything. Yes. Uh, you know, I found some interesting things, right? There's, there's a couple um, resources on like healthcare and, and um, apparently, you know, in instructions for use, uh, being in reusable surgical instruments um, is is a huge thing, right? And so there's this uh, there's accreditation standards for um, all that stuff. So there there are resources out there, um, at least from the healthcare side, right? You want to make sure these IFUs are easily accessible to everyone throughout your facility who needs them. Um, and so basically it's, you know, that's ultimately the most information on this website that I'm finding, but there's stuff out there. Um, and, there's literally and a I, lot of FDA guidance that's specifically written about IFUs. There's like a really giant PowerPoint they have on with like product examples. Now, of course, they're going to be really specific to the medical field, um, but they have pretty, they have some pretty good like principles about product titles and placement and stuff like that for IFU. Um, so if you're interested in that, just type IFUFDA and you will likely find the PowerPoint. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff out there, but I wanted to bring it up because it's something I never thought about. Anyway, uh, that's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. You can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any, over any of our social media channels. I can't talk tonight. We've we've done a lot of talking tonight, folks. Uh, if you like, you can send us an email at showhumanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. Or, you know, if it's not too much to ask, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for hanging out with me all day and talking with our uh, esteemed guests. Forever. Where, yes. Where can good. our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about the future of HFES? Yeah, guys, if you guys want to talk about Bennett scores, you can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack at Blake, but you can also find me across the, wor- the World Wide Web at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. We're taking next week off because we got a lot of content coming your way. Be sure to look out for those interviews with Camille and Chris, both candidates for the president-elect position at HFES. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.